So this morning we're going to focus our attention on Hebrews 13, just verse 7. And, uh, and we're going to do so as we especially pay attention uh, to the preacher of Hebrews' main concern, which we're now very familiar with, in that he is bringing us along in what it looks like to live a life uh, that uh, seeks to worship Jesus, seeks to, to serve the Lord in all the things that we do. So, so the main burden of Hebrews is that the preacher has come to these folks and he's told them that in Christ we have sufficient provision uh, for our salvation currently and ultimately we have sufficient provision for our eternal rest in what Jesus has provided. So we are going through this life now having access to God because of what Christ has accomplished at the cross and we go through this life knowing our future is secure in the eternal hope of a new creation based on what Jesus has purchased at the cross. So, so Christ is the one to whom we're uh, giving the totality of our attention to. We're trusting in Him. Nothing else can bring us to that place of, of ultimate safety and peace with God. And, and as a result of what Christ has done, we are then called to live these lives of worship. Uh, so we're called to work out a life having been cleansed by Jesus that now pleases God in all aspects of our life. And it's all those different aspects of worship that the preacher has started uh, working out for us, which we've gathered under that, that word liturgy, uh, because that's a word that very uh, directly translates Hebrews 12 verse 28, where he talks about this life of service or life of liturgy before God. Um, the preacher works out this form of service for us in very practical categories in chapter 13. Uh, so as you remember now, we've talked about how uh, this life of service, this liturgical living that we're called to revolves around loving others, uh, hospitality, which is loving the stranger, uh, considering those, those believers who might be enduring persecution and, and identifying with them in their, in their difficulty. All that reflects a posture of worship toward God, uh, just as uh, does our posture toward sexuality and marriage. The preacher has talked about how those uh, aspects of our lives also are worshipful as we engage in them in ways that reflect God's design. And then along with that, we also talked about how money is a component of this worship-filled life as well, these very practical categories, even how we think about uh, how much we have and what we do with what we have, materially speaking. All of this is wrapped up in, in a life of worship. Uh, and, and so we know this is, this is what the preacher is drawing attention to, and he's drawing attention to it from the very specific gospel posture that this is how we respond to the kindness of God through Jesus Christ. This is the worship-filled life. All that Christ has done for us has been worked out in the beginning part of Hebrews, and there's an enormous quantity of truth that's there for us. Jesus, our high priest. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the superior son. Jesus is the better Moses. Jesus is the better sacrifice. These climactic truths about Jesus. The preacher has said, all of that comes to you with redemptive benefit, and so how must we then live? How shall we respond to that? Are we responding to that uh, by living in the ways that uh, just would have, uh, would have reflected our life before knowing Christ? No, of course not. Now we're responding in this way that praises God, that honors God, that declares His way is the way of life. And we're not doing this in order to get God's favor. This isn't a kind of, a kind of a exchange of services where if we live a life that really pleases God, well then we can have that eternity to look forward to that's been talked about here. No, no, no. This is all responsive to the secure salvation that Christ Himself has worked for us. So we live this life responding to, to, to the gospel, which is just Christianity 101. As deep and, and as thorough as Hebrews gets in terms of its theological content, he's really bringing us down to the very basics of what it means to be living the Christian life. Jesus provides everything for us, and what do we do? 
Well, we respond with this life of praise, which affects things like loving others, how your marriage looks, what you, how you function in the realm of sexuality, money, and as it would happen, we go through the chapter 13, it also is going to affect uh, our recollection of faithful leaders in the past. The preacher now brings this in to consider as we uh, are working out what it means to live a life of worship, which on the one hand is kind of a a startling thing. It it seems out of place to bring up. He's just been in such regular Monday to Friday categories in terms of Christian living, money and marriage and all of these kinds of things. And then all of a sudden, he brings up this uh, the the need to remember faithful leaders in the past as we continue to go on in our our Christian life. It seems uh, almost strange. Is he he having a, a big topic shift here where now he's going to get really specific about church stuff where he hasn't really been specific about church stuff before. No, of course not. He's been specific about living the Christian life all the way through, and now he's including this. The question is, why has he decided to do this? But but as we think about the preacher to the Hebrews, we know why he's decided to do this, and that he recognizes that as we go along in this life of worship, this is not something we can function well in simply by having an instructional uh, framework set before us. Like, here's what it looks like. Uh, let me work this out for you in theological terms and in some, some didactic instruction. He knows we need more than that if we're really going to carry this life of faith out uh, to the end as we're called to do. He knows we need real life, experiential examples. He knows by God's design that He has worked things out in such a way that we actually are, 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 are needing, in a sense, to, to apprentice, even if it's to remember back, as we'll speak about here in a moment. We need to have those who we can apprentice under in this following of Jesus' business. What does it really look like to live a life of service, uh, live a life of worship before the God who made us? And so the preacher now brings us into this category of remembering leaders, recalling leaders from the past who have, not only by the doctrine they teach, but by the life they live, demonstrated what it looks like to serve, uh, to serve Jesus in a, in a faithful way. And, and so we come to this recognizing just again how practical it is. If the electrician is going to be an effective electrician, what, is, well, what do they do but spend hours shadowing a professional before they ever get their license? The same is true for, for teachers and student teachers. The same is true for doctors and, and, and the time in residency and fellowships and those kinds of things. Humanly speaking, we're not made to grow without functional examples to follow. And while we've already been told to to fix our gaze on the most excellent example of faith, we've been told to fix our gaze on Jesus as the beginner and the perfecter of our faith, the preacher also knows that in the purposes of God, he also provides active relationships within our church experience in order to help spurn us on in this kind of living which the Apostle Paul brings up when he's speaking to the Corinthian believers, who, if you remember their situation, they have all kinds of different stuff they're sorting out in terms of living a life faithful to God. And what does Paul say to them? He doesn't just say, imitate Christ, which, of course, is is the great ambition of all our life is to copy Jesus. But what does Paul say? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. We, we, we We need those. The Lord knows we need these kind of figures in our life to help us press on effectively. And so, that's where the preacher is going to bring us in our verse today. He's speaking about remembering faithful leaders and the place that that actually has in informing and compelling our life of worship, our liturgical life. Um, And so, we're going to take verse 7 today, and we're going to take it uh, and and work it out using four words that I I ended up just writing down as I was studying through this this verse that I think can help guide our thinking. 
Um, so, so we're going to take a look at this. The, the first word there for us is, is recollection. We'll think first of all about recollection. So if you look at verse 7, uh, you see there how the preacher starts by saying, remember your leaders. Um, now, now for, for grammar fans, the, the place of the verb translated remember in this, in this is actually prominent in, in the Greek sentence structure that's here. Uh, which, is, which is important to note because in, in, in Greek often uh, the way of saying pay very, very close to attention to this thing in the sentence isn't through something like an exclamation point or an italicized font or something like that, but it's moving it to the front of the, moving it to the, front of the sentence helps say, look at this, this is what I want you to be attentive to. And, and so the preacher is saying here, uh, there's this, this act of recollection that is going to be very critical in, in terms of the, the concern he's bringing to us in this verse. Recollection is key, he's saying. And, and it's not just a one-off recollection that he's calling for in the text, but again, with the grammar he uses, he indicates this ongoing kind of remembering. So it's not a kind of uh, bring to mind once and then forget about it, like so many things which seem to come into my mind at least do. They come in once and then we forget about them. That's not what he's uh, bringing attention to here. Instead, he's, he's saying we need to keep on bringing to mind. Uh, the, the, what he's going to be speaking about here. There's a, there's a kind of keep recalling and, and don't stop recalling idea conveyed uh, in, this, in this beginning of the verse. Um, so, and, and that's just grammatically speaking. Grammatically speaking, we can see that he's, that he's putting his punctuation marks, he's putting his underline uh, here that, that, that's calling us to this uh, engaged activity of continually bringing something to mind. This is of paramount importance, he's saying. Which, which then leads us to our second word, because if the first word is recollection, the next word we're going to think about is identification. Identification. Uh, because we, we now have a, a concern to identify what it is the preacher is so concerned that we spend our time remembering. What, what, what is the content of our remembering supposed to focus on? And, and, and you see that there in verse 7 where he says, remember or keep on remembering your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. This is who we're supposed to be remembering. Um, so, so the statement there in verse 7, it, it now moves the audience to identify the ones we're to be recalling. They're to bring to mind these leaders. Uh, now, now, on the one hand, th that term translated as leader is, 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 is a very general word. It, it, it can take a little bit to work out. He doesn't use uh, words that we would find in other places in Scripture, maybe translated as, is he speaking about uh, missionaries directly? Is he speaking about pastors or elders directly? What, deacons, maybe? What, what, what is he speaking about here? He uses a very general word uh, here for, for leaders, um, which our English word leader translates so wonderfully. It, it's, a, it's, it's a nice, ambiguous, generic uh, kind of word. In fact, just out of curiosity, I put uh, the word leadership in Google, and there were 12.8 billion results for, for leadership just in that search. I mean, it's a very broad term, isn't it? It can mean all kinds of things. So, so even in the Greco-Roman world, this can mean anybody from a, a person who occupies a high political office to, to somebody who's overseeing a smaller business venture. It's just a broad term. However, when we start to think about it in the context of, of, of uh, the Jewish culture, which apparently this original audience was very, uh, very attuned with, given their, the nature of their temptation and some of these things, when we think about the Jewish culture, and then when we think about the way this word is used in the Bible in different places, we are able to narrow our focus in a little bit in terms of what, we, what, what uh, the preacher has in mind when he brings up these leaders. 
Um, so, so on the one hand, in, in just general Jewish literature of the time, this word leader is synonymous with elders in the Jewish community. So, so in the Jewish community, the elders were the ones who were overseeing the day-to-day uh, functionality and well-being of the community, which is where then the New Testament idea of elder comes in, uh, where that's what elders are doing in the, in the church and the congregation of the people of God. But, but this term did function there in that, in that synonymous nature with eldership. And then in the New Testament, we find, especially in the book of Acts, this word is often used to refer to those who went out as missionary preachers, uh, people like Paul and Silas and, and, and different ones of that nature, who went out uh, proclaiming the, 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 the gospel of Christ and, and establishing new churches. So it's used in that kind of missionary proclamation sense. And at the same time, it's also used to describe uh, even those who are engaged in local church and pastoral ministry and the kind of ongoing preaching sort of, sort of ministry. So, so as we narrow in a bit on this, we can see that the, that, the, uh, that the preacher has in mind here when he speaks about leaders, at the end of the day, really exactly who we would think about when it comes to leaders. Here this church is, they were planted at some point, chapter 4 references those who brought the word of God to them, so somebody came with the gospel to these people, there's that kind of missionary category for leaders in this church, and then at the same time, there's that ongoing pastoral category. Uh, Later on in chapter 13, by the time we get down to verse 17, he uses very pastoral terms to describe the leaders that are currently active in the church, where he tells them, um, the the congregation, to submit to those leaders, and they're to submit to them because they're keeping watch over their souls, which of course takes us to language like Paul uses in Acts 20, where he talks about the elder, the pastor's job, is to watch over the souls of the people in their care. So, so as we think about the leaders he has in mind here, he's not throwing this out maybe as, as generally as it might seem just because we're used to the broad reach of that English word, you know, which can mean anything from, from I, I, I lead a book study to I'm the leader of the free world. It's just such a broad word. Here, he's more particular in that he seems to be uh, describing particular missionaries who have come in maybe. He's describing the pastoral care that's been exercised for this church. And one of the ways we know that this is getting more specific is really uh, by that very direct descriptor that he does include in this passage where he speaks about those uh, who, who he's referring to as, as the ones who spoke the word of God to these Christian believers. They spoke the word of God to the believers, which again, uh, as, as we think about the New Testament usage of that phrase, that almost is a technical phrase in the New Testament where it refers to missionaries and, and preachers and churches bringing the word of God to people. So, so he's, he's identifying these, uh, these leaders in a, in a very significant way as those who have been engaged in the church, maybe in missionary uh, endeavors to begin with, and then pastoral life as things went on. These are the ones who brought the, the preaching and teaching of the gospel uh, to, this, to this congregation. And, and in putting this together, uh, we, we also need to note that... Uh, The preacher identifies, again with some of the grammar he uses, he identifies these not necessarily as the current leaders in the congregation. He's going to speak to current leadership by the time we get down to the end of chapter 13. But he is emphasizing past leadership in the congregation. And we know that just, again, because the grammar he uses, those who spoke the word of God to you, it's grammatically put together as as something that happened in the past. So you're thinking back on a previous word-centered ministry 
is, is what he's calling them to do. Not, not necessarily thinking about current leaders. We're, he's going to have them think about current leaders here in just a minute. But here is a historical recollection uh, that, that he wants them uh, to engage in. So, so either these leaders have, have moved on from this community and they're not there anymore. Maybe these leaders have died. Uh, some commentators explore the idea that, that some of these may have been martyred uh, there in the context of, of, of doing ministry uh, with the Hebrews. Um, but, but whatever the case may be, the individuals in mind here are, are those who have particularly ministered the Word of God to this con- congregation in missionary and pastoral kinds of ways. So, in terms of, of identifying, uh, we can put together this, these, these, this decent picture that he's calling them to remember, this missionary pastor type. And, and as we do that, uh, we also recognize that this is something that's historical uh, for these people. This is historical. These were leaders who did, in fact, uh, speak God's word to these believers. Um, now, in, in his designation there, where he, where he brings up the fact that they spoke God's word to them, uh, there, there is uh, something that might, that might be worth exploring there, just in terms of reflecting on the fact that he brings that up. Um, probably you've been in one of those strange conversations uh, maybe with a couple other people, and maybe you kind of know them, but you don't really know them that well. And all of a sudden, one of them says something, and, and you realize that behind that comment, uh, there's actually a whole world of tension that you're not quite privy to, but now the rest of the group is really aware of. Have you been in one of those conversations? Something said that doesn't really seem to be that big of a deal, but, but, but in saying that, there's a level of tension. There's an undercurrent of, of, of trouble with that. Uh, that, that you might not understand why, but, it, but it's clearly present. We've been in those kind of conversations. And, and in a way, that must be kind of like what this comment would do here when the preacher talks about those who spoke the word of God to you. This most likely would have been a tension-producing point to bring up with the first audience. They probably would have, would have twinged a bit because if this distinction is necessary... That means that over time, there must have been leaders in this church, or at least people trying to be leaders in this church, who did not speak the word of God to these people. There's a required distinction here. There must have been those who were speaking about things contrary to the sufficiency of of Jesus Christ. So so there's some history here. The, The preacher has to distinguish the kind of leaders he wants this church to recall. Some must not have been those who spoke the word of God because he has to, he has to distinguish that. There, there is this group we want to pay attention to. There is this group we don't. And, and we can actually know that's true if we just keep reading on in chapter 13 where the preacher has to remind these, these, uh, these congregants not to be led astray by strange teaching. He's going to say this as we jump into verse 9 and the following section. Strange teachers were floating around. And, and so the leaders that the preacher wants these Christians to bring to mind continually are those leaders who didn't teach strange things, but those who spoke the word of God. This is the distinguishing characteristic of their public ministry, if you like, uh, much like the preacher of Hebrews himself has done all through this book. They've taken the scriptures and they've said, here's how the scriptures point you to the significance of Jesus Christ and what it means to trust in him and follow him. Remember earlier in Hebrews, the, the preacher, here's a little grumpy with them, but they hadn't picked this up yet. They were lazy in their understanding of these things. There had been teachers who had come who brought the word of God well to them, and this congregation had kind of sloughed it off. But here he's saying, these are the ones I want you to bring to mind. Teachers who regularly expounded the word of God in such a way that your, your attention was directed to the Lord Jesus. He's calling them to continually remember the, these 
identifiable teachers. And, and this is such an important reality for us to, to cultivate in our own life. The, uh, the, the jumping off point to, to personal application for us is, is pretty plain here. Because as we think about Christian leaders, especially as we think about them uh, looking back on days gone by like these believers are called to do here, uh, maybe those who have influenced us historically, it, it, it's the faithful Bible teachers who are to occupy at least a decent portion of our recollection, which is a necessary thing to say because some leaders have extraordinary charisma and we actually can, can attribute these, these, these charismatic, dynamic features to their life as what qualifies them uh, for, for us to give this kind of remembering attention to. The preacher here, he's very specific about what qualifies these, these, these teachers or preachers for remembrance. They brought the word of God to these people. But as we think about it, it's so easy uh, to be captivated by certain teachers who might carry us away and they, you know, they might bring the spiritual secrets or whatever, whatever it is. Those folks do, stand to t- do tend to stand out in our memory. They're easy to recall, if for no other reason, just the bigness of their characteristics. It's easy to bring those to mind. But the preacher says here, he, he calls us to discipline our memory and that the characteristic that qualifies teachers to be constantly remembered for a purpose that we'll explore here in a little bit, the qualification for that remembering is not um, magnetism, it's not, it's not a kind of unique, special, secret kind of teaching or anything like that. It's not that new flavor of the month kind of preacher or teacher. No, it's the ones who spoke the word of God to us. And we can think about those people in, in our lives. I hope you have those people in your life. Uh, for, for me, and, I, and I've told you about him many times, um, for, for me, one of these guys has been, has been Jim, who was my youth pastor in, in my formative years. He continues to be an outstanding uh, friend and, and influence. But, but, but Jim wasn't, wasn't fancy um, in the least. He, he wasn't cool and innovative, and, and quite frankly, he wasn't as hyper as some of the other youth pastors in town. Um, we, we never had the big... The, the big service with the smoke machines or anything like that. But I tell you this, Jim taught the Bible to us. He did so consistently. He taught us about the supremacy of Christ. He talked to us about the nature of temptation and dealing with that as young people. He taught us what it looked like to love our future spouse and be gentle with our future children. All of those kinds of things. He was not fancy. In fact, Jim now, I don't, I don't think he ever, I don't know if he ever listens. He, I, I hope not, but... He, he wouldn't mind you t- me telling you this. Now, Jim, Jim works for State Farm, and he lives in Hawaii. And I saw him recently. He was over visiting. And he is so committed to sunscreen, you'd think he lived in the North Pole. He doesn't look like he li- He's just the most plain person in the world in that way. And he'd actually be proud if, if I told you that. He's very proud of that accomplishment. But he's just not a fancy fellow. But I tell you what, he's a faithful Bible teacher. His whole mode of, opera- of operating was the fact that we need to come under the Scriptures in order to understand how to follow Jesus so that we can be faithful and honor Him because Jesus is our Savior. And at the time, you know, for me, 15-year-old, 14-year-old me, eh, this is good, I guess. It's, this is pretty much, I mean, my parents say a lot of the same stuff. This is good. Now I reflect on that. And it's actually in the recollection of that that the enormous value is, is contributed to my heart as I think about the impact that had on my life. I didn't even know how meaningful that was until you get a little further down the road and you bring that to mind and you realize, in a sense, that changed the course of everything for me being around somebody who was speaking about that kind of truth. 
And so we need these kind of people in our lives, and these are the kind of people that we need to be bringing to our minds as we reflect on what, on what they've uh, done for us in terms of bringing the truth that transforms us. They may not be the fanciest of people, but they're the faithful people who bring a dead-set commitment to the Scriptures being applied in order that we can know Jesus. And then, so we want to be thankful for that. We want to be recalling those who we can identify in that kind of way, those who brought the Word of God to us. And, and this recollection and identification, as we work through this verse here, it, it then le- uh, leads us to consideration, which is the next thing the preacher is going to say. As we work through this verse, we start to see how all of this is, is, is going to be coming together. So, so he says, remember your leaders who've spoken the word of God to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their life. That, that's, the, that's the consideration word that's here, the, the diligently consider, keep reflecting well on, scrutinize the way their life is turning out. That's, that's what the preacher says. Which certainly makes things a little bit more serious as we, as we understand that this connection is being made. Th- th- these are Christians uh, who uh, the preacher is referring to here who have, who have helped other believers historically in their life of faith. And those leaders aren't just marked by gospel preaching and teaching, but the congregation is now called to think really well about the personal lives of these, of these leaders, the personal lives. Ponder the result of their lives. The preacher saying, focus on the course of their living and how things worked out for them. So gospel proclamation and corresponding gospel practice are now brought together in a way that requires deep and significant consideration. Which again is no surprise, but we know how important this is, don't we? This correlation between gospel preached and gospel lived, it's probably, even as we think about it, it's probably even stinging a little bit as we're bringing to mind leaders from our own past where that matchup did not occur in their lives. They had the truth, but, but the lab of their life didn't match the lecture. Or maybe they had the most loving appearing lives in the world, but at the same time, the things they were teaching were not according to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. We've all experienced at some level leaders like that, which is why Paul has to say to Timothy about pastoral ministry, he says, watch your life and doctrine closely. These things are not separate. You can't, you can't separate these. What God has brought together, let no man put asunder, so to speak. Uh, which, which, of course, leads us to Christ himself, who is the great exemplar of this, which John highlights in his gospel in chapter 13, where he tells us Jesus loved his own who are in the world to the end. Just in case there was any concern. Jesus' love wasn't just expressed in God so loved the world, so he sent his only son into the world. It wasn't just expressed in his coming, but Jesus' love and faithfulness was expressed in his gospel preaching, and then his love enduring all the way to the end, to the cross. This is the Christian quality of truth and perseverance put together in, in, the, in the most perfect form in the ministry of Jesus Christ, which only makes sense then that those who are going to occupy positions of leadership in the church, while of course uh, the best of men are men at best, and those things are true, at the same time we should, uh, we should uh, come to uh, expect that there is a quality in a leader that reflects the very nature of Christ's own life. After all, they're leading us along in the gospel way. That's why the qualifications for the eldership, it just would, would, would do you well to go read those again. First Timothy 3, Titus 1, we read those. And it is amazing how dull those qualifications really are. There's nothing about fancy preaching. There's just they're able to teach. 
There's nothing about how much money they may have or how little money they All it is is this person is constrained by Christian truth to live a moral life that reflects the good, persevering work that Christ is working in their heart. And so the preacher says, we have to remember these kinds of leaders, not just the ones who came and taught sound doctrine, but we need to remember the ones who came and taught sound doctrine as they lived sound doctrine. And we're not just going to slough off and say, oh yeah, they were pretty faithful. Yeah, I, I remember them. Yeah, they, they were okay. I don't, no, he actually wants us to pause and consider the outcome of their life. There's a scrutiny that's called for on the part of these Christian believers as they think about those, those uh, leaders who were with them in the past. These are the ones we're to be bringing to mind. Those who stand up under gracious but genuine gospel scrutiny, both in their message and in their living. Those people in the past, we're supposed to be bringing them to mind. Which even in, in studying this this week, it struck me that, that this is a very insightful word for us on the part of the preacher. You know, I've, I've told you before, Brian Chappell has a wonderful book on Christ-centered preaching. And one thing he talks about when we're, when we're studying the Bible to, to preach the Bible is we need to be aware of the, of the fallen condition focus is what he calls it. And then for the rest of the book, he calls it the FCF. And that fallen condition focus is the, 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 the oldness in our hearts that must be renewed by the newness that Christ offers. And, and that's in all the scriptures. It's speaking about our brokenness, our crookedness under, under God's judgment. But then it's bringing us to a place, instead of fallenness, to restored life. And so as preachers, we're supposed to be thinking, what is the fallen condition focus of this? And there is something in a passage like this that, 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 uh, uh, that, that gives us some insight to. Because the preacher is hitting on something that does reflect a, a fallen condition, maybe factor in our hearts. Because if I say to you, remember your historical leaders and their teaching and their morality, where does your mind first go? To whom does your mind first go? I'll tell you where my mind first goes. It goes to the moral failures of leaders that I know historically in ministry. That's where my mind goes first. So, so right now, there's the, the podcast on the rise and fall of Mars Hill. I've been listening to it myself. I've found it very helpful um, in, in a lot of ways. The rise and fall of Mars Hill, it chronicles the ultimate demise of Mark Driscoll's ministry in Seattle. And I looked it up. I think Ben and I were talking about it last week, which, which he turned me on to, to looking this up. But I, I, I looked it up, and as of yesterday, that podcast is in the top ten of all podcasts on iTunes right now. Not just religious podcasts, all podcasts on iTunes. The rise and fall of Marshall, which is primarily distilling the failure of Driscoll in ministry. That, that's that's, the, uh, that, that's what, what it's focused on. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong. In fact, we should learn from the failings of, of pastors. Paul ha has some things to say to Timothy about that. We're supposed to learn from that, be warned by those things. And that's, that's, that's fine and good. However, it did make me wonder how highly rated a podcast chronicling a pastor, say, in central Washington, who served faithfully for 33 years, loving a congregation well, and recently retired and moved down by his kids in Baltimore. I wonder how a podcast like that would rate. Do you think it'd be number 10 of all podcasts everywhere? It would not be number 10. In fact, it would probably have no listeners. Right? It wouldn't get anywhere on the iTunes chart. 
So, so, so we see why the preacher has to give this word to us. There's a tendency to lean toward failings and dwell on those things in our minds. When the reality is there are many, many faithful gospel bringers and teachers and preachers who are worthy of our memory. And what we need is an exhortation like this to counter that fallen condition factor, to counter the tendency I know all too well in my own heart to, 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 to be much more interested in those who have crumbled than in those who have gone on well and faithfully, life and doctrine a match all the way to the end, retiring, not resigning, all of those kinds of things. We're to dwell on these historical faithful leaders, not the big name failures. Learn lessons from them, sure. But it caused me to, 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 to just consider for a moment, where is my tendency in terms of my remembering? And I'll tell you, the answer was not where this text needed me to be. This text is corrective in that way. My remembering needed to be adjusted. And, and what it really comes down to is something very critical for our life of worship to have our remembering adjusted in that way. Because in all of this, the preacher is driving at something extraordinarily critical if we're going to live faithful lives all the way to the end ourselves worshiping Jesus. So, so as you see where he's going in this text here, he goes from recollection to identification to consideration and then he ends all of this with this grand purpose of imitation as he puts verse 7 together. So, so remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Okay, why are we doing all that? Imitate their faith. Copy them. Do the stuff they do. We need the examples of saints of old. That's why we needed to reflect on Enoch and Jacob and Rahab and David and all those saints in chapter 11 that the preacher brought to us for our reflection. And we know we need most of all to fix our eyes on Jesus who's the founder, the completer of our faith. And then also in the purposes of God, we need examples who have been near to us in Christian leadership so that we can copy them. We need those who have served us in times past and done so in a way that brought the gospel to, uh, in a truthful way to bear on our hearts, not just through the preaching of the gospel, but through the hearing or through the living of the gospel. We, we, we need that for the simple reason that God is a God of means. And if we're going to persevere, we must have faithful examples to imitate. We need to see a life of worship lived out in genuine working clothes. So I'll give you one more Jim uh, example. I probably give too many of, with him. I, I suppose that just proves my point that he had an effect on me. But, but, but here's one. As a 15-year-old boy, as a 15-year-old boy, I don't know how many times. I, I can remember sitting with Jim riding around in his blue Toyota Tercel with 180,000 miles on it. It was a four-speed. You never could figure out why they didn't give it a five. You know, we're always down the highway, all the way wound out. Lots of McDonald's in the car. Is that, is that kind of youth pastor experience, Right. But I remember walk, uh, driving around with him and having him explain, you know, Jared, when, when an attractive girl walks by, rather than indulging in lustful thinking, you need to, he would say, bounce the eyes. You need to look somewhere else. He'd notice something about me. And as we're going along in this living, he's saying, you know, as you're living the Christian life, I need to give you some practical advice. You need to bounce the eyes. Don't, don't, don't get tangled up in temptation. Don't, don't, don't let your look linger longer than it should, these kinds of things. I needed the gospel preached by Jim, but I needed the gospel worked out for me by Jim. I didn't, I didn't just need the lecture. I needed to ride around with him in his car while he gave me the lab. You need to watch yourself here, and you need to be doing this. And to this day, the memory of his gospel lectures and the recollection of those gospel labs stick with me. You can ask the boy. They'll say bounce the eyes. They know bounce the eyes. Because Jim taught me bounce the eyes, and you know what? I'm copying him because it's worked out for him. 
Because here he is, a faithful man, loving God all his life, loving his wife all his life. His kids love Jesus. He's praying for his kids involved in his church. He's the kind of person I need to copy. And that's the effect he's had on me. And so what do I do in my life? Well, I think, man, all these things that had such a profound, and I can't even imagine where I would be were it not for his impact on my life in those ways. I think back on those things, and this text calls me to say, bring that to mind and start copying him more. Imitate him. The kind of stuff he was doing that led to this faithful life, loving his family, loving his kids, engaged in ministry, not giving up on the church, all of these kinds of things. I need to be copying the way he did that. Because what was he doing in all of that? Well, he was just following in the faithfulness of Christ. He knew Christ. He wanted to serve him. He wanted to follow him. And so he set this example of what it looks like to do that. And we need those people in our lives so badly as we reflect his story. We need those people. They're great gifts from Christ. If we can look back and find those people who had a profound impact on our lives, not just because they knew the gospel with their mouth, but because they lived the gospel with their lives in deep and meaningful and practical ways. You could just see it worked out in their daily life. It exuded from them. And then at the same time, we also recognize that it can be possible to go through a significant portion of our Christian life without having had those historical people. Right? It's possible for us to have spent a decent amount of time, even if we're, maybe we're a little newer in the faith, or maybe we're long in the faith, and we haven't had those people who, who we can say, you know, I look back on them, and they really set an example of both the, 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 the teaching and the living. Those things really came together for them. Maybe we don't have those people, but, but, but we understand that is one of the great benefits of Christian literature. It's one of the great benefits of Christian biography. To be able to sit with those who have faithfully finished well and then watch how they did that through the biographical accounts of their lives. Maybe through a talk given or some, some, something of that nature where we hear that their life and their preaching went together. I think of how I've been affected, obviously from, from afar, I think I was two years old when he died, but the ministry of Martin Lloyd-Jones. Here's a man who loved Jesus and who desired to serve him so faithfully and who preached the gospel faithfully. And his biography is two volumes and it took me forever to read it. But I was so helped by those two volumes. Right? Think of John Stott and J.I. Packer and so many others who've gone before us now but who live these faithful lives all the way to the end. These individuals have gone, not now gone to be with Jesus but they're persevering gospel leaders and we need to watch how they did that. So even if we don't have somebody per se that we can bring to mind and say, my goodness, that person had a profound effect on me. I need to be continually thinking about them. The other gift that we're given under Christ is, is Christian biography and Christian literature. We can find these people. We can know these people. We can engage with them from afar as we read about the lives they lived and how, 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 how these leaders prayed and how these leaders dealt with depression, how these leaders resolved conflict, how they raised their kids, how they navigated temptation, how they, how they lived out married life if they were married, and, and even how they dealt with the final chapter of their life. I was so affected in Lloyd-Jones' biography. I remember at, at the time reading it where he's, he's on his deathbed and, and his biographer had been coming to visit him very regularly and it was one of the last times his biographer was with him. And, and, and he came to him and, and asked him, you know, how do you feel now that you, you just you can't really preach anymore, you can't even edit your books anymore. You know, there's a sense in which he was asking him, how do you feel now that, you know, the, the purpose for which you lived your whole life publicly is, is kind of gone for you now as you, as you come uh, to, to the, time of, the time of your death. And uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, again, he was very weak at the time, but with a, with a smile on his face, he quoted Jesus from Luke 10 and said, don't rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. 
I want those to be my last. I would like to copy him and have those be my last words. Those are good. J.I. Packer, you remember reading the article? J.I. Packer's last words to the church before he died. Glorify Christ in every way. I would like those to be my last words. I want two sets of last words for my last words. Right? But these are people who we have in our lives who we can even understand and know from afar and who we can imitate, who we can mimic. How did they do it? I want to do it. I don't really, uh, maybe I'm struggling with prayer. I don't really know how to pray. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get the Valley of Vision because there's a whole bunch of prayers in there from very prayerful prayers and I'm going to just copy how they did it. I'm just going to pray like they pray and I'm going to be instructed in that way and what it looks like to live faithfully before God. We need these kind of influences. And as we said from the very beginning, the, the, the emphasis the preacher is putting on all of this is that we need to be in the, in the place of continually remembering. them, Not a one-off remembering, but a continual remembering. Because uh, in, in, the, in the theology of Sherlock Holmes, we know we have a certain amount of room in our mind attic. There's only a certain amount of space up there. And that space can be occupied by a whole lot of other stuff. It can be occupied by things that discourage us. It can be occupied by things that distract us. It can be occupied by things that demean us. It can be occupied by all kinds of things, our thought life. And what this preacher is doing is he's saying, take a significant portion of your time thinking. Take a significant portion of your life as you're considering things and focus on those who have done this well. Focus on those who have done this faithfully. You find yourself discouraged. Focus on those who have persevered through discouragement. You find yourself tempted. Focus on those who have stood faithfully through temptation. And in all of that, in all of that, which is a song we're going to sing here in just a second, in all of that, we're being compelled to ultimately be kept near the cross. Isn't that what's happening? These faithful people in their lives and in their teaching are driving us to that place of comfort and rest and peace that we find at the cross of Jesus Christ. Apart from them, we would not have the help we need to remain there. This is God's purpose for us. This is God's purpose for others. As, they, as he brings them into our life, we need these kinds of people. Which, of course, is a whole other sermon. But doesn't this leave you wanting to be one of those kinds of people? Wanting to be one of those kinds of people? How can I live? Who can I copy so that somebody could copy me and I could be useful to them? And on and on it goes in the discipleship of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be faithful in these kinds of ways. Ultimately, the Lord uses these people to keep us near to Christ. So this is the liturgical life and, and remembering faithful leadership. We live a life of worship as we persevere in ways that others have persevered before us. And in that we find a compulsion and comfort and all of those kinds of things. All of that being a grace from God in our life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, we do want to be perseverers. And we are thankful for those who you've brought into our life, who uh, help push us along in the way. We think of those who've had an effect through their teaching and life, uh, who have, who have such, had such a profound effect that uh, without them, we wonder where we would be. But we know that you've used them as a significant means of grace in our life, and we thank you for them. And then, and then for us, Father, if we feel like maybe, maybe those people aren't so present in our lives, it's been a, a lonely road, this following of Jesus. We do thank you for those who you've given through, through biography and through other means who we can uh, reflect on and imitate. And then, oh God, we're thankful for one another. Ultimately, this brings us to realize we need the body of Christ. We need to not be alone. We need each other. And as you bring us together, uh, we certainly find very living and active examples in our own congregation, what it looks like to follow and please the Lord Jesus. And we pray we would have minds that would focus on those things rather than be drawn away uh, by, by other things that might distract us. May we focus on those who are perseverers to the end. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.